Hi, I'm Jasmine. I'm Crystal. I'm Annie. And welcome to Baby Got Books, the podcast where we like big books and we cannot lie. Last week we were talking about why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. That was not last week, that was Monday. So today, uh, for our final Black History Series episode, we're getting drunk and we're talking about growing up Black in majority white spaces. Podcast, 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 podcast. Baby Got Books. With me, probably your only guest to be so extra as to drink their cocktail out of the fruit it's made from, Ebony. This week we're joined by Ebony Dixon. She's a friend of mine that I met through blogging, who not only blogs but also works as an actress and finished a national tour earlier this year. Oh, oh tell us more. Backstory! Backstory. I did not know this. <laughs> She's very fancy. Go. Ebony, say hi. Hi! <laughs> Sorry, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I've never been on a podcast before, so this is exciting. Hi, guys. <laughs> yeah, um, Ebony's always been very vocal about representation and the Black experience. In fact, I first really noticed you because we were following each other on Instagram for ages. I don't even know if you know this, mm-hmm. but I first kind of noticed you when you were like on a bunch of people's Instagram stories because they'd shouted out, like a big influencer had shouted out like a bunch of bloggers in a shout out and you'd sent them like a really polite message mentioning that you'd been following them for a while and they only ever shouted out white bloggers and you noticed that and you like suggested that they made their shout outs more diverse or they made their fields more diverse and I was like, she seems like a good person. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I've already kicked it off, but Ebony, you have one minute to tell us about yourself, um, why you're qualified to speak on today's issue, and just why you think you might be more qualified than us. Go. Oh, okay. So, (laughs) hi, my name's Ebony. Um, As Jasmine mentioned, I am an actor uh, based in South East London. Um, I am mixed race, and I blog about all things lifestyle beauty, fashion and mental health and, you know, just things that interest me, basically. Um, I I guess I'm qualified for this episode, not only because I've recently been talking up about these kinds of things since uh, Black Lives Matter movement started. I feel like it was, I felt kind of obliged to, but also I really wanted to. And through doing it, it was a bit cathartic for me. Um, and it kind of brought things to the surface in my consciousness that hadn't previously been and it got me thinking about my past and the way I grew up and I've been to about five or six different schools so I've got a good variety of like school experience and growing up experience and um, not only that but I feel like um, my journey with my own identity and race has been Um, quite substantial and in the last few years um, has kind of you know really picked up and I've started to explore who I am which is like cheesy but true Um, and yeah I don't I don't think I'm more qualified but I feel like I'm (laughs) as qualified. Love that. It's a good introduction. That was a very good introduction. (laughs) I was like I felt pressure. (laughs) It's a very hectic one minute. (laughs) Yeah yeah yeah. Let's get into what everyone's drinking because unfortunately, because of everything going on right now, this is the first set of episodes that we've had to record socially distanced over Zoom. So we don't have our regular book themed cocktails. Although in theory, I still have all the ingredients for the cocktail we were gonna have. So I could still make the social content. We might do that, check our Instagram. But 
um, <laughs> we, we're all drinking different things because we're all in our individual houses. So yeah. I am drinking Jack Daniels and Diet Coke because it's my classic go-to. Annie, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a nonsense, which is um, just what I found in my house. And it is <laughs> this, this pink gin I bought for a cocktail we made many weeks ago. Um, mixed with Lipton iced tea, peach, Ooh. ignore the clanking sounds, and some <laughs> tropical juice because, again, it's just what I found in my house. Um, I was in my head, I was like, Oh, I'm gonna get some wine, I'll have a peaceful, peaceful wine, and that was cancelled because I didn't leave my house. Yeah, he sent us yeah. a message this morning <laughs> being like, Guys, all I have is pink gin, there are no mixers, there's nothing, I just have pink gin. <laughs> yep. Yeah. When you sent that message, I was like, "Damn, al- alcohol." <laughs> Forgot what about that. That's <laughs> why you have Do a house it. that is always stocked. Alas, you can't keep alcohol in my house. It disappears. <laughs> <laughs> it's not me, but it disappears. Just know that. Crystal, <laughs> yes. what are you drinking? I am drinking hot chocolate with amarillo. Oh, that's it. That sounds tasty. Let's pull that. And Ebony, tell us about your drink because you committed and I love that. You did. Yeah, so I've got a pina colada that I made in a pineapple. You love it. <laughs> because I'm extra and I committed to the, the theme. Um, I wanted it to be what tropical. Does? This is one of my favorite drinks. <clears throat> and uh, it's leaking, so I'm drinking it quickly. Um, and yeah, I'm the kind of person I love entertaining and having in like regular days. I used mm-hmm. to love entertaining and having people around so I'm stocked up in like most liquors oh. <laughs> and about three different Proseccos about three different <laughs> wines I've got it all so um, yeah so I just made this with like yeah just like um an Aldi Malibu type thing and some frozen pineapple and some coconut milk nice Sounds you'll good. get a chance yeah. to plug herself at the end but quickly you did this on your TikTok, didn't you? Like yes, your slushy yeah, yeah, pina yeah. colada recipe. Nice. Check out Ebony's yeah. TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I made um, my Kinder Buena latte on TikTok the other day oh. as well, which did quite well. If anyone hasn't made it, I would highly recommend it. It's like hot chocolate with hazelnut and uh, like a shot of coffee. And it makes like mm. a Kinder Bueno flavor. Mm. Oh, tasty. Sounds good. Yeah. Ebony's TikTok's good for like places to be and also fashion and drinks. Okay, so let's start. Um, Ebony's sort of already done it, but before we got into like the meat of this episode, I kind of wanted everyone to like go around. I mean, we've kind of touched on it in previous episodes, but not like in detail, and just kind of give like a quick summary of your childhood and like your kind of black experience growing up. So, like, uh, for example, for me, so I'm we've spoken about this. I'm half Jamaican, half St. Lucian. Um, I was born here, as were both of my parents, I think. My grandparents were the ones that came over from St. Lucia and Jamaica, respectively. Um, I started off school-wise in private schools that were majority white. Then I went to two of those, and then I moved to kind of a majority black school. Um, And then I ended up in sixth form where I met you guys, which was very white (laughs) but like more slightly more ethnically mixed than the private schools I started off in so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I feel like it was very white but also somehow I only made friends with like the other non-white people so sometimes I forget how white it was outside of our friendship group 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. But there was our friendship group and then another group of every single other black person in the school. That's what I was yes. thinking. I think of like us and I think like the Yeet. Mm. Yeah, that whole group that were like all friends. Mm-hmm. I don't really think yeah. about them. Yeah. And there's like a hundred groups of white people. Yeah, yes. the school was really like majority white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think there's some people other than my friends. Valid. Yeah. Your experiences? Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Um my parents are both Bajan. I was born here, but they came over like before I was born from Barbados. So I'm first generation, I guess. Kind of. My dad did live here when he was younger as well. So kind of not first generation. I don't know. Mm. I didn't really change schools a lot. So I went to a very white primary school, fairly white secondary school, fairly white sick form. Yeah. I thought the thing is with me, like, cause I like stayed in this area for most of like my life. I went to like my primary school and then most of those people went to secondary school with me and went to yeah. sixth form with me. So it's been, like, the same kind of people. Yeah. The sixth form we went to, it dropped it for sixth form. But before that, the school and the school that you two went to beforehand had a catchment area. So yeah. I feel like you two yep. especially kind of just grew up with the exact same people from primary yeah. to secondary. To like and I feel like my primary school was like, is it like feeder school or something? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. It, it was like, the primary school that like, yeah. 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 Mm. It was like you had a guaranteed place basically at the other local. Yeah. My background is so my parents are both Nigerian. They met there, they got married there. They had my first sister, my older sister, and they lived there for a couple of years. And then when she was two, they moved over. And then about six years later, I was born. And so it's like, yeah, I guess also first gen? First yeah, gen? Yeah, That's what the first gen is. Yeah. And um so I actually grew up in like more black areas for a while. And until I was in year three, I went to a school that was like majority black and but yeah, it was majority black actually. And I remember most of my friends were black. I had like one white friend. And then in the middle of year three, I moved over to this area and I went to a school that was like, I was the only black person in my class. And there was like one other black girl in my year. My mom was like, any, anyway, make sure you make sure you're friends with TT. That is TT, who has also been on the podcast. Yes, and I was like, I don't know that girl. She's not in my three classes, um, but that's that, that, that's nice, I guess. And now we're actually friends, and it's like, huh, full circle. <laughs> but yeah, Indeed. I don't think when I moved in the middle of year three, I really like the first thing in my mind was like, oh, I'm the only black in the village. I was more just like, oh, I don't know anyone, and oh, I miss my my little buddies that I used to hang out with. Mm. But I don't think like I considered race at that point. Yeah, I don't think you really think do about, about sort of age. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm like, yeah, forced upon you, basically. It's like a rude like, awakening. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, ever since then, just white spaces, basically in the same places as Crystal. Ebony, did you want to add anything to your kind of background introduction? Yeah. So um, so yeah, I guess with like being mixed race I feel like every mixed race experience can be so different based on like your circumstances like where you grew up who you grew up with like who your parents are and all that kind of thing so my mum is a single parent and I grew up just with me and my mum she's Caribbean she's from Jamaica and my dad passed away when I was really really young so I never knew that side and I still don't know that side of my family um and then I went to two different primary schools that were fairly mixed in southeast London 
and then I ended up going to a private school from year four to year eight, year seven, year eight, year four to year eight, it was a private school and I was heavily bullied there um, mm. for various reasons about like my weight, my hair being too frizzy. Like I think some boys just had a thing about picking on me. I was very much my own person. I was that classic only child who was not cool. <laughs> and just, I, I liked S Club 7 and horses and I just got bullied and ripped to shreds. Um, mm. And I came home crying almost every day. Um, and so I ended up, uh, my mom ended up taking me out of that school because it was so bad. Um, and it was like that kind of school. It was, a, it had a swimming pool and a rugby field and we did Latin. It was like one of those schools. Um, yeah, and then I've so when I school. moved, <laughs> everyone's nodding. Um, so then when I, um, when I went to my next school, it was like the literally a walking distance from the private school, but it was like the local comprehensive school. So it was like a whole new world. Um, it was, yeah, it was just completely different. It was very majority black and uh, ethnic minorities. Um, and I was again bullied there, but there I was bullied for being too posh, for being um, a geek, like, cause I was um, kind of ahead in education wise, I guess, um, mm. in terms of, because of this private school I went to. So I managed there from January to July and I was out. <laughs> um, and I was like, uh, I was off um, and then I was put into uh, all girls boarding school in Hampstead, the opposite end of London uh, for three years, did my GCSEs there. And that was a whole nother experience as you can imagine. Um, and that was actually pretty diverse in terms of um, like the kinds of classmates I had, but it was just a very small school. There was like 20 people in a year group. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was nice cause I got quite a lot of one, like teacher attention, I guess, but I, I was away from home. And I think I kind of acted up a bit. I found my like bad girl side and was getting <laughs> in trouble and things. Um, and then I went to a performing arts school in Croydon. So again, the other end of London, back down again, living at home. And I was in a really mixed and diverse and liberal performing arts school, which like, was very accepting and incredible. And then I went to drama school, which was extremely, extremely white. Um, to the point where the only so there was about 55 of us in a year group and it was me and another girl we were both mixed race and that was the only black representation in the entire year group um, so that was a, a huge slap in the face coming from yeah. such a liberal amazing performing arts school going into that kind of all white place uh, and I've actually this year um, since Black Lives Matter had a zoom with my old head of year about it um, because a lot of stuff kind of came up from that and we were talking about it as a year group on Facebook and stuff but yeah so very random very eclectic schooling and growing up I guess as a with a single mum. Keeping on the theme of upbringing do you have does anyone have any particularly yeah, particular instances as a child that you kind of remember that made you realize like that you were like different and that your skin was going to kind of play a factor life-wise? See, I'm like trying to think and I don't know if it's that I don't or if I just literally wasn't paying attention slash I don't remember anything. Like when I think back on my memories, my earliest memory is like one instance of potty training and then it's like my year, like turning seven birthday yeah. and then it's like school, like age 13. Like I have such a <laughs> limited memory. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I can't think of a specific turning point. I feel like it must have been when I was already in secondary school and I started reading books like Noughts and Crosses and kind of being like, ah, yes, maybe racism is out there and it does affect me. Because I was in like such a bubble mm -hmm. of the people I was friends with 
didn't I didn't get anything racist really and it in was like primary school though, I didn't that's the thing or it was more a case yeah. of I didn't notice like I didn't notice yeah. my progressions like oh my white friend that you know compares my hair to chipolatas or oh my friend mm. that always wants to touch my hair and things like that because it was just what I was used to you know and the majority of your friends are actually the majority of my friends weren't white at this point but it was yeah and I'm just like I don't know it was the case of I genuinely wasn't aware but I think there was like already things happening that were like this wouldn't happen if I wasn't the only black person around I think it's so easy childhood wise to kind of I think a lot of my like especially with microaggressions as a child are things that I never realized at the time and I look back on like you know when you know something made you feel uncomfortable but at the Mm. time you're not able to place why and then I can look back on them now and be like oh that was why because it was racist and it shouldn't mm, have happened yeah. that's yeah. if you even remember those things happening because you because yeah. I suppress yeah. so many memories that like yeah. they'll come out at random moments but a lot of them Same. probably have just been suppressed and forgotten about yeah, yeah. it's so hard yeah yeah I can't think of like a specific time in my childhood where I was just like oh damn racism is real I remember like little things like when I first started hitting puberty and like I would go like hell like my legs and my arms or whatever and because I was like one of the few black people around it's like my hair was like all black and dark and you could see it but like all these other kids their hair's like blonde you can't even see it and I was like oh my god no I'm like hairy I'm a beast and then like boys in like the younger days when nothing is ever serious but yeah. they only like like the little white girls they didn't really like any of the black kids hmm. like, oh, damn. And like hair touching and stuff like the usual like little stuff which you don't notice at the time yeah. when you think back and you're like hmm. you're a little kid and you're That's like wrong but yeah. yeah i can't remember anything i had like I don't know. my big like pivotal pivotal childhood moment where i was like oh like the first time i kind of really deeped that racism was a thing and that like things were going to be different because of the color of my skin was when so i used to dance a lot as a kid um and i'd done a ballet exam and there were like two other black girls in my class it was only a class of like 10 11 anyway but there were two other black girls in my class and for that ballet exam because they split you into groups for the exams we ended up being in the same group just by chance um and then like us and two other girls um and then we finished the exam and the like ballet examiner as we were leaving was like oh it's really like nice to see like black girls in ballet like she was just trying to be nice but we were we were like 10 nine ten ish mm. and we came out and we were like laughing about it we were like oh that was such a random thing for her to say that's so funny like why would she say that like that's weird and I remember talking to my mom about it in the car and she was like yeah it's because like black girls are like typically built differently like they have like they tend to have like wider hips and like thicker thighs and they don't tend to really kind of make it as ballerinas so she's probably like noticed that you're all here like and it was, I literally never thought about it in my life. And I was like, that's so weird. Like, why would that not make them ballerinas? Like, why, why is that different? Why have we decided that's not like the ballet type? And it was the first time I'd kind of been like, oh, the world has preferences and privileges. And that's really strange. Like, when you really think about it, it's very strange. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. You know what? Thinking about it more, I think my first, like, awareness that was of race and privilege of like sexism and feminism 
generally happened like when I was on Tumblr at the age of like 14 and I was looking at like blogs and they're like and this kind of stuff isn't right and women shouldn't be treated like this and I got into like all that social justice kind of stuff and I was like these are things that happen all the time it kind of takes a minute for stuff like that to sink in for it to be like why are there these preferences and why are there these like beauty standards that don't fit people that aren't like white girls or that don't fit white people in general and it's like yeah it takes a minute for it to kind of be like for me my outlook is always oh you know everyone's just a person but it takes a minute for you to realize like there are so many people in the world living a life where they're like everyone's a person but these people are better and it's like Mm. how can people think like that you know Mm. ebony do you have any specific moments um yeah i uh, i remember well i think growing up because like for people who obviously this is a podcast if you can't see me i'm quite pale in terms of my skin tone and being mixed race i'm like on the very pale spectrum which i'm aware of and um i think growing up with uh, a single parent who mm. is black um i think i was very racially confused for a lot of my younger years and i remember my first experience with uh, the idea of being different or not not looking a certain way was when um, so my mum was like a manager of a big summer play scheme so all the kids knew me because I was like my mum's daughter and so sometimes um, like the kids and these are black kids white kids you know um, they would kind of question if I was really her daughter because what of what I looked like so they would come up to us and say is that your daughter is that your daughter but she doesn't look like you um, and I would get that that kind of comment I think that was the first time instance I can remember and I was probably about between five and seven so five six or seven I was very young and I remember like my identity being questioned and like being like prodded kind of like I had something to prove I had to prove that I was related to my mom to my mom um and it felt a bit I think she kind of she she would always joke about it she would say something like no she's my grandma or like you know she'd like kind of try and play it off but I think that kind of stuck with me and then as I got older it was a case of me like completely denying my blackness so I would um be told my hair was too frizzy um the girls at the boarding school I went to would be like oh when you straighten your hair you look really pretty so I straighten my hair um to be accepted I would have like people comparing their skin tone to me being like oh my god I'm darker than you these are white people I'm darker than you and you're mixed race ha 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 it's very funny um and yeah, so it was like those little microaggressions and instances that I think kind of built up my idea of um, not only like beauty being um, corresponding with my race, but also uh, my skin tone in comparison to my identity being like kind of off mm-hmm. and then creating like an identity crisis within my mind. Um, Cause then it wasn't until I was like 25, 26, that I really started to accept my dual identity. Yeah. I can imagine the mum stuff being really hard because like yeah how do you yeah. like that's I feel like identity is a thing I mean we've all mentioned we've struggled with like coming to terms with our blackness and our proximity to blackness etc but that's or obviously as a mixed race person you've kind of had to deal with your proximity to blackness and your proximity to whiteness and your like proximity to just being a mixed race person but then having people tell you like you don't look like your mum mm-hmm. like things like that that must mm-hmm. have been yeah it's it's having to choose it's the idea that people are proposing me to choose so like straighten your hair and be more white like why aren't you black like your mom it's Mm. like pick one pick one that's like what you kind of get your whole life i think it's only now that we're starting to really like (laughs) that we're trying to like 
understand like mixed race people are really understanding i think it's a very it's a shared experience that a lot of mixed race people are having i think that conversation is being had mm. now online um and i think it's like oh let's talk about our trauma from our childhood hopefully like that trauma won't exist in the future but yeah. you know yeah that's hard that is serious like little kids some of them probably weren't even being malicious but they are saying things that are like mm. you wouldn't say this to anyone else and you probably have no idea of what kind of impact mm. that's going to have on another little kid but it's going to have a huge impact when someone is questioning are you yeah. who you say you are like are your parents really your parents and it's just like I don't know yeah I have that a lot like that. when I think about microaggressions from my childhood and I think like that person definitely didn't mean anything by it like they mm. they were like just being curious or they thought like it was nice but like it's stuck with me and that's so strange like mm. It all comes down to like not even just upbringing it's like in another episode we were talking about how it's just that like everybody has like unlearning to do with so many different situations because as a world we've kind of learned how to be better and it's just the fact that it's what people thought you did and it's not yeah. right pretty much on the topic of microaggressions does any ha anyone have any that have stuck with them growing up where to begin where where to <laughs> unfold where to unfold the list <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a Same. lot of mine have to That's do with hair one. like so many to do yeah. with hair I remember like yeah. sleeping over at my white friends in primary school like her and her mum and then I was like doing my hair in the morning and I was just brushing it and then it's such a vivid memory in my mind because it's so messed like I was doing my hair I was brushing it and then I like looked like to the door and the two of them were just standing in the doorway like watching me as I brushed my hair and her mom kept being like oh my god like listen to the sound like it's like crunching snow and I was still like this is so strange what I don't like this. what yeah <laughs> it's such a vivid like memory in my mind like, uh -huh. I just... and like great. it's one of those things where great. I'm like yeah. <laughs> yep <laughs> It's one of those. <laughs> That's giving me like yeah, get out vibes. Crunching yeah. snow. I wish you. Just... <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things magical? where I'm like, oh, they oh. definitely didn't mean anything. So by weird. It, but, like it's just, so weird. it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, it's creepy. Really <laughs> just them standing yeah, just at the watching door. Watching as I brush my hair. Like, <laughs> like... <laughs> sorry, that's so funny. That's so good. That's so funny. <laughs> No. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh no. I'm trying to think. Fun times. When I was at uni, I shared a house with, uh, like, my second year and third year, I shared my house with um, three white girls. And I remember one instance, there was one girl in the house who I won't say yeah. who she is, but to this day, like, I don't think there's I anyone do. I've ever hated, but I do really hate her um <laughs> she was a bully she was an absolute bully um uh, that's a whole other story but yeah. one specific incident inc instance incident um where I so I had uh plantain in my house because I was going to cook it so it was just chilling in a bag on top of the fridge like just chilling ready to be cooked um and I'd been out and I came home one day and it was gone so I inquired to the house I was like does anyone know where this is is like this is what it looks like this is the bag it was in this is what it's what it's called um and then I was told that it was thrown away because people thought it was gone off banana that I had chilling um and I was like okay 
Um, cool. And actually, I've got another one um, at uni. One of because I was at, I was doing a course called European Theatre, and one of my course instructors was from Poland, and she couldn't say my name for the for the life of her. She couldn't say it, and so at one point she accidentally called me a bobo, which was hilarious. And the entire class then proceeded to nickname me a bobo, oh and then God. people were like, "Oh, like a bobo the clown!" Oh. Like just it was hilarious. And so like that was kind of like. The, the new name I had that was meant to be quite funny, but given the fact that this entire year group was white, bar me and another mixed race girl, it was a bit. I'm icky. sorry, phonetically, Ebony yeah. isn't that hard. It's really, I'm so confused. As also, to where it's like, from. it's no, also like it's an actual word. Yeah. Like people should not be struggling yes. that much. Yeah, I think the eye, the eye throws people still, off. The eye throws I people genuinely off. Feel as though in <laughs> cases where people are like adamant they can't get a name right, close your eyes listen to it said and learn it the same way a baby learns to say words like you can it. do exactly. it it's not that hard mm-hmm. i genuinely feel so like most of the time people just don't want to try they don't because it's hard and but when you yeah. have someone saying a name to you the right way like how they want it to be said you just have to try and learn yeah. it yeah just try and follow so it it's just yeah like, mm. i don't know i don't know i've oh, had a lot of that. things with my name where i'm called like aniola or annie or anything like that that's like vaguely similar but it's like no not quite I, and I remember like so long I was never willing to like correct people because I was like mm, it's close enough like it's never yeah <laughs> I remember you used to go into Starbucks I was gonna say that exact thing say yes <laughs> yeah I remember that because you just yeah. didn't want to deal with the grief of having them be like how do you spell any right I saw that to this day sometimes because I'm like I don't care enough to spell my name in this moment like it's more effort mm. for me to like oh teach yeah. you a new name yeah. than it is to just be like this isn't really important and also yeah. I need to choose my battles <laughs> it kind yeah. of it, it kind of goes with what we were talking about in the last episode with why I'm not talking to white people about race or we were saying like we we're basically saying that when it comes to talking to white people about race we've kind of gotten really good at like picking our battles and deciding mm. when it's worth starting a conversation and when it's not I feel like it's the same with a lot of microaggressions you kind of decide especially you with your name you decide when it's worth getting into it and when but like you shouldn't have to yeah it's just the fact that people just aren't willing to try yeah it's just I don't know it's just yeah I think it's also a thing where like white is so assumed as the norm that like Mm -hmm. you hear a name and you just want to like average it to the nearest white saying and I hate that Annie. Yes. Yeah. I'm Emily. <laughs> How? I'm Emily a right? lot. It's just like Emily. Because people people hear Ebony and they say Emily. And they just <laughs> their head just t- says Emily. Like it must be right. But it sounded like something I know, a white name, uh, Emily. And it's like, no, how did you jump like that? <laughs> it's so yeah. stupid. It really is. I can't think of a specific incident. Or, yeah that might have like happened with microaggressions I just know like small microaggressions like hair touching mm. and stuff or like asking questions about like when my hairstyle changes yeah, or whatever I remember like saying to people that my family's from Barbados and then like this happened multiple times and then they'll say something back in like a weird bad Jamaican accent and I'm just like Mm-mm. first of all different places so different nice. accents but why I'm just like yes and then I move yeah. on but 
it's weird i don't know i haven't had anything like i think i just had a, that I can remember. a distinct memory where it was um i was like working as a student ambassador kind of thing or a student residence mentor and we'd like go into halls and kind of like check in on flats and be like hey like how are you doing freshers mm-hmm. and i, I was in like one flat like it was a flat we were kind of like friendly with a bunch of freshers and they were like, really really nice and me and my partner were there like chatting away having a conversation and this one girl had been quiet for a while and she's like really really nice like really really friendly but out of nowhere she's kind of goes to me is your, are you wearing a wig and i was just like and everyone was like silent and i was just like no i agree with this myself and then i was like okay like she's being harmless so i was like no like it is a wig yeah but you know kind of awkward to ask people that and she's like oh no I didn't I didn't mean it in like a harmful way no I didn't I, I wear wigs sometimes you know when I want to have a blonde day and I was just like yeah but it's very odd that you your first instinct is to like look at me and try and identify if my hair grew out of my scalp you know like you wouldn't ask that to someone else no matter which yeah, kind yeah. of toupee they might be wearing so <laughs> why is that you feel like so comfortable to ask me oh is that your hair I don't feel like it is, right? On like a flip side, I find it really weird when people like make it a big thing. Like, I don't know how to explain, but like, if they're like, oh, your hair is so cool. Like, how does it do that? Like, how is your hair like that? I just find it really weird. Like they're not being mean. They're not saying anything bad, but I'm just like, oh uncomfortable it kind of just grows out of my head like it's one of those things even sometimes at its most well-intentioned it just makes you feel like you are a circus attraction yes and everybody just wants to look at you and prod at you and be like oh this is so weird your hair is so weird and it's like no this is kind of a common hair texture for like billions of people across Mm -hmm. the globe but it's just a bit new to you and that doesn't that shouldn't have to be my problem like why should i be the one to teach you about hair go google black people hair if you have so many questions but no i'm i'm like on display another weird one i have gotten is like someone being like i wish my skin was like yours like as dark as yours yeah that is uncomfortable i get that a lot from like very like from white people who are like oh i'm so pale i wish i was more tan oh i wish i was as tan as you and it's like no you don't no you don't (laughs) And it gets this weird thing where it's like I'm not tan. This is just my this is just my skin. But it's like ooh, uh, interesting, mm. like exotic tan. It's like oh, and they're like, oh, how do you get that dark? Like, are you naturally that dark, or do you like tan? Do you guys tan? Oh my god, I get that. Also, I remember one time in my like like talking with uni people who were all white about. I think we were all going on holiday together, and I was like, oh. Um, we were t- they were talking about sunburns and stuff and I was like oh I usually get like really sunburned on my nose so I have to put like loads of sun cream on my nose and one of the girls just kind of paused and was like so so you can sunburn and I was like everyone can sunburn might take a little more effort we're SPF kids yes. and sunburn it's really not like an exclusively white thing it's not I'm sorry do you think I'm stronger than the sun <laughs> are you okay <laughs> I don't understand. I feel I feel like there's that microaggression that maybe you guys have like 
encountered as well where it's specifically with like guys or with someone trying to chat you up and for me it's oh like where are you from what's your mix and then I'll say I'm Jamaican and Dutch it's like oh exotic all that I've never heard that one before like uh, that's that's new that's different it's kind of like all of a sudden I'm more intriguing because of my like ethnicity Mm. and my my mix and it's all like I don't know like interracial dating and like that kind of thing and that kind of is a whole nother conversation I feel like but yeah. yeah, I'm not There's even like, in there. Yeah, like I'm not even mixed like that. And like a literal conversation I've had is like a guy asking me like where I'm from, and me saying Barbados, and him being like, "Oh, Caribbean girl." I'm like, okay, what does that mean to you? I get that. You're saying a lot right now. Yeah, I get that a lot. Then they're like, "What does what does that mean?" Or and why is it one of the first conversations I'm having with you? Exactly. Like, why is it? Why do you? It's all like. I think that is a thing. Like, as soon as someone's asking you where you're from, sometimes it's like, (laughs) sometimes it's like, oh, okay, no, just like casual interest. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, I want to know where you land on the exotic scale, so I can know if it's spicy enough for me to be like, guys, I met the spiciest girl. Yeah. I've said like like, Saint Lucian before, and had people be like, that's different, and I'm like, what does that mean? It's a country. What do you want? What does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? What does Actually, that thousands mean? Thousands of people yeah. are from there. So what does that mean? Not that different. Also, different how? Similar vein, but people being like, when you like say where you're from, or like you talk about being black, and they're like, oh, you don't look that black as like a compliment, and they're like, okay. <laughs> Firstly, that statement's a terrible statement in general. Secondly, the fact you're portraying it as a compliment is awful. <laughs> like, that's really telling on you, yeah. because what do you what mean? does that it's mean? Like, to be like, oh, you know, I'm not that black. I've not seen many black people that look like you. Mm-hmm. But when it's a compliment, it's like, and you're better than the other blacks. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, please stop, Vasca. But that, in general, that's something that should stay in your yeah. head. If you're if yeah. you're thinking, I haven't seen someone who looks like you who's black. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Keep that in yes. your head. Why mm-hmm. is that coming out of your mouth? Why do people have the audacity to be like, you're weird, yes. like? are you confused (laughs) are we not it simply exists yeah yeah why must you know that information Mm -hmm. right something that's weird to you doesn't make it weird that's your okay sure you've lived in your bubble your whole life and you have a very limited worldview keep that to yourself that is embarrassing are you not embarrassed (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) why is that my problem honestly like that's exotic is it though because everyone I know is like from there so is, is it are you sure no yeah um <laughs> on that like on a similar topic let's talk about like firstly just proximity to blackness and also like inherent racism and colorism because I feel like most if not every black person that grows up in England kind of goes through a struggle with like their identity when it comes to blackness and being like black enough or like trying to be like less black to fit in like have you guys gone through that growing up I feel like I definitely have I feel like for me I've always been like quite like quiet I always liked books and I was very like low-key and so I kind of got this luxury of like no one's ever like oh she's an angry black girl I didn't really fit into any of those stereotypes and so I never really got like the oh why are you like this like I didn't really get told off or anything like that and so I kind of had that kind of peacefulness because I just kind of skated around 
a lot of the things that most other black girls, most other black people have to face. Just on the fact that I myself am quiet. Like I myself don't speak for no reason. I don't like chat to a lot of people because I just get a little nervous or a little awkward. And so for me for ages, I was like, mm, okay, maybe race, like when I was first learning about racism, I was like, maybe it exists, but it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist for me. Like I'm very nice. I'm, 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 I don't get that. And then I kind of realized like, as soon as I slip outside of the boundary of being very quiet and well-spoken and very like, you know, the, the book nerd, it's like, oh, why are you so angry? Oh, why are you shouting? And it's like, mm-hmm. can I not be passionate? Like, can I not be passionate without it being, I'm the angry black girl and it's such an overreaction and it's such a dramatic moment. Like, can I not say something a little funny without it being like, oh, she's so sassy. Oh, she's the, yeah. she's such a sassy girl. And it's like, mm-hmm. why am I automatically sassy? I simply <laughs> said a statement. What happened here? Yeah. Everything you do and say takes a different tone. Right. Just because of your skin color. Mm-hmm. Literally. People read it in whichever way and it's like it feels like you can't just exist and have your natural reactions without it being like and therefore you slot into this category yes yeah why i am so i from the ages i mean there are two different schools but from the ages of like five to 13 i went to private schools um which kind of started just by accident in the fact that my parents moved to a new area um, just as I was like approaching school age and none of the state schools had like because you know you have to like apply for them or whatever none of the state yeah. schools had spaces so their only option was to send me to private school and then once you're in that system you just kind of end up in that system because they keep pushing on you that like that's the only way you're going to succeed in life and I guess for yeah. parents with a first child you're like oh no we must keep them in private school um, yeah. so I ended up in like private schools that were mostly white and I'm like I don't know whether it was on purpose or just because I was surrounded by people that were white and I was like oh so this is like the childhood experience I like grew up especially when I started getting to like teens being like I want my hair to be as straight as possible like I want I wish I looked more like these girls because like they're the popular ones and like they're the ones that are getting guys now that we're all interested in guys like I grew up kind of very not anti my blackness but I was just kind of like trying to fit in as much as possible and the people I was trying to Mm. fit in with were white so everything I was doing was trying to be more like the white girls I was surrounded by because that seems to be and it kind of messed with my head a lot and then I moved because my parents just couldn't afford it anymore I moved to a state school that was majority black and I got a lot of hate there for being like not black enough and like too white and like it was a lot of like the opposite and everyone was like oh my god she like speaks too white and she does this and she does that and it was it messed with my identity so much because I was there like what am I supposed to be like this is Mm. this is just who I am like I don't but it's not even just I was gonna say sorry it's not even just like what you get at school I feel like yeah like the popular girls can be whoever they are in whichever school you go to but then you go home and it's what you're seeing on TV what you're seeing on adverts Mm -hmm. what you're seeing on like all the kind of Eurocentric beauty standards that are thrown at us, regardless of what we experience at school. So true. And I, I think that all kind of adds up to be like, I, I wanted to be Baby Spice. I was like, sca- I didn't even care about Scary Spice. I wanted to be Baby Spice. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I wanted to be. Or, or like that, and that was what I saw as like the, the, the leading lady character. Yeah. And I've always been interested in like film and stuff and feeling like you connect with that leading lady, but the leading lady is always white yeah. and straight hair. 
and I'm like why don't I look like her and yeah. does that mean I'm not going to be the lead- am I not the leading lady in my story am I not going to get the guy like all that yeah. kind of yeah. thing and like in movies when they do like a transformation it's always yeah. like frizzy gossip yeah. <laughs> the princess diaries yes. <laughs> yeah. yes every single mm-hmm. time yeah <laughs> You get this idea that like, oh, to be like a princess and to be the beautiful main character, that's when you get your hair straightened and you take off your glasses and your skin is glowing and bright and all of a sudden that's Mm -hmm. when you're like, that's when you're the beauty standard, right? Yeah. And I think you definitely get this long period where you're like, oh, I'm just... I'm just not good looking because I don't look like X, Y, Z. And X, Y, Z is white, skinny, blonde. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's never going to be anything that I am. So why is it that I never get to see someone with my traits being seen as beautiful, you know? Yeah. On the topic of um, media and stuff, Ebony, what's that like for you? Because obviously you're in the acting world. And like, Mm -hmm. in general, like you were saying, leading ladies, I feel like, I mean, it's still bad, but uh, like five years ago it was far worse like leading ladies are always like the white girl with straight hair that's like super skinny how's that been for you and like roles and casting and all that yeah um so like I think when I decided like when I remember deciding that I wanted to be in the performing arts world I think I was still at a stage in my personal life where I was denying my identity and I wasn't really in touch with my identity and I thought oh no, but I'm, I'm as pale as white people, so surely that doesn't make a difference for me. Um, and I think my first experience of being rejected because of my appearance was when I was auditioning for drama schools and quite a big drama school uh, re- rejected me. And when I asked for my feedback, one of the comments was your, your appearance, quote unquote, your appearance isn't commercial enough. Um, and so I think I and then I took them to court about that. Good. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I kind of I challenged what that meant to them. I was like, what does that mean? If mm-hmm. you're if, if it's based on my talent, if you could tell me that you don't think I'm I can sing, you don't think I could dance, you don't think I can act, fine. But you're what you're telling me is how I look, something I can't control yeah. at age eighteen is not it's not good enough for your school. Fine, like Thanks, let me baby. try and yeah. Um, so then, um, yeah, I think it's only something recently I've been thinking about and like trying to really consciously when I watch TV shows, when I when I think of my favorite things on TV, like when I watch a new Netflix show, I really consciously watch it and analyze like what what's the diversity like? What's the kind of how, how many black people in it and what kind of characters are they playing? How many mixed race people have I seen on TV recently and what kind of characters they playing? Because at the moment I see a lot of mixed race characters that are kind of like fetishized and like kind of <clears throat> never like a, a kind of whimsical like you know like damsel in distress it's always like the strong character or the character that's got all the good advice or the character that's there for um to be a man's sexual you know mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff um and so that's something that I'm recently like starting to analyze but I still know that the industry is in a place where like I could be rejected based on the fact that I'm not black enough, not white enough, too pale, not not pale enough, you know, or yeah. like hair's too curly. Mm. You know, I, I look too ethnically ambiguous, I think is what I would say. Mm. And so mm. I think that, but that's something I can't help. And I'm not going to try and like make myself more white or more black just yeah. to try and like fit in. If that's not for me, that's not for me. Um, mm. But then on t- in terms of when I get jobs, then I have to f- like deal with like the... Um, the industry as it is which is like predominantly white so like the whole of a backstage team being completely white 
um, me being like one of the only couple of uh, actors of color or people of color in the company and um, the kind of comments and like little microaggressions are this year I experienced microaggressions of the sassy thing which mm-hmm. was thrown at me in a dressing room one day when I don't think I'm that sassy I think every, everyone like can joke around but I don't hear the white people being called sassy I only hear me being yeah. called sassy even though we're making yeah. the same types of, jo- types of jokes so I think yeah it's just something that I'm still navigating and figuring out from myself, but yeah, it definitely exists as we all know in that kind of industry. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how it goes. I hope it improves. After everything this summer, I feel like they at least have to try and act like things are better. So let's talk about the Black Lives Matter movement this summer. Cause I feel like out of everyone, you four are probably, you three, I'm the fourth. You three are probably the people. <laughs> I spoke to about it the most like I had discussions with it as it was happening at the time because it was so weird because I think it was it's stuff I've definitely had conversations with all of you about it before like it's stuff we speak about kind of by ourselves but it's never something we've kind of seen the world around us speak about so openly before like how did this summer affect you guys what were your experiences with it and your reactions to it all it was interesting. It felt like those points where it felt like really draining. Those points where it felt like really like fulfilling and like validating. And then those points where it was just like kind of feels like nothing is happening and you kind of feel like yeah. a little bit hopeless and like nothing is really changing and it's all just like for show, you know? Yeah. A lot of it felt like it was just a lot of noise without any action. Like we were the action was happening but there were no consequences like yeah. nothing actually changed mm-hmm. i think one like, good example i can think of is like for the lgbt community every like pride month you get all of these like big corporations changing their like colors to be like rainbow colors rainbow and they're flag. like and yeah. this month we support pride and and then as soon as it's like July 1st, it's like, that's cancelled, it's over. And these same companies go back to like doing absolutely nothing for real LGBT people in the world. And it's yeah. like, okay, so you kind of hop from this bandwagon to try and like get people's money by showing that you're inclusive. And you know that people who care about inclusivity are going to like try and support you. But as soon as it's over, you're like, all right, done. Like, good, good effort. But we're not actually mm. going to start like hiring people you know we're gonna like make structural change (laughs) that's ridiculous that's kind of how it felt with like the protests and like the riots and stuff it's like the government and everyone like people in power were just there like okay we'll just let them make their noise do what they want to do because at the end of the day it's gonna like blow over and they're gonna lose interest it's gonna be like onto the next thing yeah and kind of also blame them for coronavirus spike (laughs) yes Mm -hmm. yeah Mm-hmm. It'll be like, oh, they'll take a knee in their photo in their office, or, or they'll wear like a, like a a scarf with an African pattern, but at the same time, like not actually fund anything, not actually do any of the changes that are being asked for, not hold mm-hmm. anyone, like any police officers to account. And it's like, you're doing like the most superficial things. Yeah. And it's just so like, it's so demoralizing to see that like people can protest for days, weeks, months on end and no substantial change is going to happen it's the fact that like things like now now that we're months ahead of it we can kind of see the aftermath of it all like at the time um 
it, it felt great that people were having these conversations. It also felt like, firstly, it was quite traumatic having to like just confront all this trauma all at once. And then like, yeah. even I have like quite a small social media platform, but just feeling like you had a platform and you had to talk about it. And it's like, yes, of course I want to talk about it, but also it's like, it's emotionally exhausting having to have these conversations all of the time. Um, yeah. But also the whole thing made me feel uneasy at the time because I was there like, it just feels like, it's everyone's like current feel good mission. Like it's the thing that everyone yeah. at the moment is like, oh, this makes me feel like a good person for drawing attention to it. And then yeah. it's gonna brush over and it did mostly brush over. And seeing the aftermath now, yeah. seeing how like Breonna Taylor's killer um, got charged more for putting holes in the wall than he did for shooting her. Killing her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and that like the, cop that kneeled on George Floyd's neck got bailed out recently mm-hmm. it's just uh, I just it's upsetting to know that nothing really changed and a lot of companies that posted black squares on their Instagram have done nothing and their feeds are just yeah. white yeah. <laughs> and you scroll yeah. <laughs> and it's like yeah. upsetting but also at the same time I'm not even yeah surprised. I think that's like, what I it is yeah. be that upset because it's like yeah, that is where it is. This weird, this this very weird flavor of like demoralizing, where you're like, didn't expect anything, and yet I've been even more disappointed than I could have prepared for. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know. That's like the main feeling I have about the whole summer at this point. Like in the middle of it, there's so much going on, and now I'm looking back, and I'm just like, same old, same old. You know, like what's changed? Yeah. That's very depressing. Mm -hmm. Ebony, how did you feel about it all? Yeah, I think at the time, I was like in two minds because on one hand, I felt like a massive wave of relief that all of this stuff that we had been known and like was bottling up behind the scenes and all the things that we've always, or I've always wanted to talk about and wanted to say and wanted to like out people and say really publicly, I felt like had to be done either behind the scenes or not at all and bottling up. Like uh, when you see brands that aren't diverse, like I'll be sending them a private email, not outing them on a public platform or um, like things that I think, it, and it, it felt like finally people were listening. Yeah. Whereas before I felt like I could, I, re- I could write a blog post about being black or mixed race or uh, divert, no diversity within certain brands. Like I could write all these things, but no one was yeah. listening. No one was reading it. No one yeah. cared. And it felt like all of a sudden people wanted to listen and wanted to learn. And um, that felt like a massive relief that, I don't know, that it that it wasn't all in yeah. our heads. Mm. That it wasn't all in my head, that it was like something that really was. And then, and then black and mixed race people started communicating more about it, that things that they thought, oh, that's just for me. That's just happening for me. It's not happening to anyone else. When actually, like, you know, we were just basically mass gaslit <laughs> yeah. um, for so many years. Mm. But then, obviously, on, this, on the other hand, it was a case of then getting exhausted from talking about it, then getting exhausted from um, the kind of trauma that was uh, being relived yeah. and um, the mass sharing of all the, like, horrific things that were going on, on in the world. And I think also from a British standpoint, I think um, being... America kind of telling us oh but you don't have it that bad Mm. over there and like your trauma isn't like what we've got and like we've got guns and we've got you know we it's all happening in America but in the UK you look aren't racist over there like there's no racism over in the UK so then again being kind of micro gaslit I guess Mm. from that point of view like on a world stage 
um, yeah, that's kind of how I felt. Um, and I think, again, like to reiterate what you're saying about brands are performative and like, especially cause like from me and Jasmine, like we see a lot of bloggers and like people who actually have influence over like people and um, how they kind of reacted and responded and like the mass following oh of people. God, yeah. And um, <laughs> it was all very icky, I think yes. at one point, it was just icky and it's, it, it is icky. Also, yeah. I think I saw a lot of yeah. influencers. So they'd be like, oh, because of all this stuff happening, I'm going to shout out exclusively black creators, which was fantastic. But I would see the same five black creators shouted out on every single person's yeah, story. And I'd be like, okay, so you yeah. did the bare minimum effort and you just saw that these are kind of the five people you were like, oh yeah, everyone has been talking about them. So these are the only five we're going to like talk about. And it was like, okay, so you haven't done any research. You've just decided like, these are the ones that are going to make you feel like, oh, I'm like good and diverse now. And it's like, that's not mm. how it works. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that's real and I think like going back to how people are like oh but that's an American issue you know racism like why are you so invested in this why are you trying to protest because someone got killed in America like that isn't our issue and you kind of have this case of it being like well it is a global issue I think my mom said something really profound where she was like you know even if you aren't in pain now like you can cry just because your brother's in pain you can cry because your sister's yeah. in pain and that qualifies for like I can still be really emotionally connected to like people that are completely outside of me outside of my country outside of my political influence and so it's like I don't know it felt like so huge and then to see for a lot of people that it was no more than like post an Instagram square and mm. now I'm, I've done my bit, I've done my part, like I'm a hero, Ooh. it's like, it's really surreal. Yeah. It kind of makes you feel like, okay, I thought that more would come of this, or I thought that like, mm. I thought people were really listening and paying attention, but it kind of ended up just not. Yeah. Like in retrospect now, I'm just like, people were just kind of performing like, I'm a good person. It was like the new craze. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone that was, was one it. thing that made me feel uneasy at the time. Like, I really hoped there was going to be actual change. And, like, from my perspective, mm. like, it was nice to be able to just talk about it openly and, like, be like, no one's going to judge me at the moment because everybody's talking about it. So I'm allowed to have, like, my say. Mm. But, like, mm. it made me feel really uneasy at the time because it just felt like the trendy thing to talk about. Like, it felt trendy. And it yeah. was like, this shouldn't, like, being like voting for like wanting equality among races is not a trend and it just it, it is, felt yeah. like it at the time it was like oh this is the thing that gets mm. views like I saw a couple people and in defense it was only a few but like again because me and Ebony kind of are in the blogger influencer world like see I saw like a few people like white influencers that would like make templates to call out brands and stuff which is fantastic and then but then I'd see them like share like on their Instagram stories being like, oh my God, this got like so many saves. Like, this is how many like shares it got. And it's like, okay, that's, it just, that's it felt point. icky, you know? <laughs> like it just felt like, yeah. oh, okay. I'm so glad that this has upped your engagement. Maybe don't shout about that right now. Like that's not yeah. the point right now. Yeah. It's just, it was tricky. It was a weird time. And I think being able to look back at it now and see how things are, like I know a lot of, especially like black influencers that kind of shot up during that time because everyone started following them to like diversify their feeds 
seeing them mm-hmm. now kind of stressed, especially from like a brand business point of view, at the fact that their engagement has plummeted because nobody's actually, all these people jumped to yeah. follow them and now they're not like mm. engaging with their content and stuff. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. made me sad because then they're like, it, it just makes it mm, seem it like is. it was performative and this is like, in anything, like if anything, like, it's had the opposite effect now because now it looks like they bought their followers or everything's mm. fake and it's like oh it's yeah mm. and a lot of them I think also feel pressure to continue yes. speaking out about it even though they just want to talk about mm-hmm. their like morning coffee and what they're wearing today which they are more than like like they should be allowed to mm-hmm. do that and then but then people are kind of demanding this content of going li- reliving their trauma and I think it's mentally taxing yeah. and about the um the engagement i know personally a blogger who's a friend of mine who's in, who's who tried to sign up for a platform to monetize her instagram page and they denied her because she had a spike of followers oh. um and it was from the black it was from the yeah. black lives matter movement that's awful um but i also feel yeah. like a bit like i feel that pressure of like do i can because now it's not a trendy thing to talk about when people aren't listening mm. anymore do I continue to like publicly like if I send an email to a brand which I do all the time saying hey you want to work with me but I notice your Instagram hasn't got a diverse representation of people like do I then tell that to show people that on my Instagram to kind of influence them to do the same thing or is it like people are going to be like oh like not this again like you know I'm like how much are people really continuing to listen no matter how how much work you do behind the scenes i i found that like yeah. recently because i've been sending quite a few of those emails i sent one of those emails on friday and i found myself typing like so i was just talking about it in general and i was like oh this is like you should definitely be more diverse and then i found myself typing being like in the wake of this summer and then i was like actually no and then i had to delete it because i was like it's not in the wake of this summer in general you should be more diverse like it's not just yeah things didn't I think that was what bugged me at the time. I saw so many people, especially with George Floyd or just in general, when they came to like understand that racism happens in the UK, describe things as mm. like shocking. And that word started yeah. to really get to me because I was like, this isn't shocking. shocking. This is stuff that I've known mm. has been happening for most of my life. And the fact mm. that you're able to describe it as shocking kind of reflects your privilege because like, you've been able to just like walk around and act like these things aren't happening and you've never had to engage with them when they're just, they're so common and they're so frequent. Yeah. That is the thing. Like when people say like, oh my God, I can't believe this has happened. And it's like, what world have you been living in mm-hmm. where you didn't know that American police kill a new black person every single day? Mm-hmm. Like what world have you been living in where this is shocking and not just like run of the mill? And it just really makes it, it just kind of made it stand out more to me. Like, how much for so many people this isn't an issue race isn't an issue they don't think that race is affecting anyone's lives and they are confused by why people like talking about this so much and care about this so much because they're like i didn't see any of this going on it's like just because you didn't see it didn't mean it wasn't happening Mm -hmm. it's just ignorance is bliss syndrome yeah yeah literally pretty much um before i move on to the next section um where we're going to listen to some other people's experiences um does anyone have anything they want to add everyone good i feel like i could talk infinitely i feel like because so what we're going to do next is we put a call out on twitter and facebook and everywhere um just asking people um to send us because as we've kind of got into the black experience is really multifaceted 
um, we're all just speaking on our own experiences. We've had Ebony, we've had Alice. We were trying to bring in other people because again, with it just being the three of us, those are just three black experiences and everybody has a different experience. So we put a call out yeah. on our social media platforms and we asked other black people to send us their experiences, send us some like little voice notes. And we thought instead of playing a game this episode, cause it didn't really feel like a game sort of episode, we would share their experiences and then we could all talk about them and it's we could add some more people to the discussion. I thought I'd start with Alice who came on our Noughts and Crosses yeah. episode and our Privilege episode um, and wanted to be here for these episodes but she's back in Portsmouth finishing her degree. She's in her final year in pharmacy um, but she didn't have time to do a voice note. She didn't want to do a voice note but she did send me text for me to read um, about her experience. So I'm going to start reading hers and then we'll listen to the others. So Alice said, growing up black for me, it was constantly trying to find out who I was outside of stereotypes and other people's views of how I should be. It was trying to fight the stereotypes by making myself small, quiet and less intimidating. It was trying to find the balance between being too black and not black enough. It was being followed by security guards and stores, but making excuses for it. It's because I'm in uniform and it's cool. And then it's still happening when I'm 22. Growing up black for me was learning about racism and colorism from a young age. It was being cussed for being dark skinned by other black people. Growing up black for me was being told backhanded compliments like, you're not like other black girls and you sound white and being expected to smile and say thank you. Growing up black for me was being scared to change my hairstyle again because of all the comments, questions and looks I would get. Mm. Yeah. Aww, that's real. I feel like I relate to a lot of that because it's like mm-hmm. Alice is also like Nigerian. I just, yeah, it feels very similar for me. She brought up like a good point about the like justifying the microaggressions to yourself, yes. mm-hmm. like with the being followed with her uniform and stuff. Like I never thought about that, but a lot of the time, especially as kids, we do. We don't even really notice it. We're just like, it's not because of my race. It's because of this. It's because of that. Yeah, I thought the same. The excuses part was really interesting to me because I didn't realize I was like, actually, yeah. The more I thought about it, I was like, I've made excuses for so many things in the past. Yeah, so I've been mm. like, oh, it was because of other things. Like it was nothing to do with my race when actually, it just is. Yeah, it probably was. It, it was just about when it was like not black enough, not white enough, and it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's especially when you grow up in a white space and you're a black person, that's something that stands mm-hmm. out. It's like, people want you to act whiter, but also some people want you to act more black. Yes. And it's like, yeah. I think it's like a universal thing if you're like growing up black in a white space that because that's just how you're growing up, you like adopt like the white, mm. I don't know, behaviours, speech patterns, whatever. And then if you go into a black space, they're like, you're white. Mm. Yes. Like, you're a coconut, you're an Oreo, yeah. like, you're not black enough, you don't, you're not engaged with the culture, mm-hmm. or blah, 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 and it's like, I get enough of this from white people, I don't need it from black people too. Okay, so here's one from Titi, who was a guest on our Gossip Girl episode, and is one of our friends. Um, hi, guys. So, what does it mean to be black? to me I think specifically in the industry that I'm in it means accepting that the route I'm going to have to take is not going to be the route that others will have to take 
and it might be a harder route, a longer route to get to where I want to get. But it's not always sort of that um, upset inside. Sometimes it's really great things like having a rich culture and sharing experiences and food, <laughs> like really great food. So like I know that we obviously have to address the hard things, but it's also nice to look at the good things too. Yeah, I think it means being unique but in like a positive way in that you just have a lot more to offer you have a much wider lens and a lot of the time you can bring a different viewpoint in but yeah it's a good thing definitely a good thing that's a nice take to have because we do talk about it and it's like we're made to feel like an us and them kind of situation but like when we say that it's kind of as if being black is a bad thing but we should acknowledge that being black is great mm. it's like a blessing for us i guess it's nice we'll say for reference um tt's in industry way. is architecture she is yeah <laughs> architecture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um yeah i thought she, she had some interesting great. takes there she did. Mm. i enjoy hearing black people celebrate their blackness mm. same I think that is one of the nicest things, like when you really reflect on like what does being black mean? And it's like there's so many positive things, you know. It means a community with other black people, it means like this rich culture, it means like she said, food. Food is so important to me every <laughs> single day. Yes. And like there's so many good things and it's not just about like the adversity that you might face, you know? Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, even if maybe the world isn't made for you, you can still be living such a wonderful life such a fulfilling life yeah. and like having such great friends that any amount of roadblocks isn't going to stop you from kind of succeeding or being happy and that's I think that's a great thing yeah I think that food is definitely something we haven't really spoken about but food is one of my favorite parts of <laughs> of my culture and my heritage just that the food tastes amazing <laughs> yeah I love, love that. a well-seasoned piece of food <laughs> Think about jollof rice and potatoes sometimes. <laughs> so important to me. Okay, so next we put this on a Facebook group for women of color podcasters, and a couple of them sent us some voice notes. Um, one of which was from New York, which I thought was really interesting because we've done a lot of like Black British points of view. So it was nice to hear something a little bit different. So I'm going to play this one for you guys. My name is Koi Griffin, and I'm the owner of the fashion tech brand Your Own Creativity. And growing up as a black girl from New York City, all I can remember is the topic of hair. Every week or every two weeks, I would go to the Dominican hair salon to get a wash and set. And I loved just having freshly washed and freshly good looking hair. And that's when I noticed how important hair can be for a black girl to make us feel good even prior to getting washed and sets or blowout um at a young age I remember like when my mom used to put the two pigtails with my froze or just getting fresh super fresh braids or super fresh hairstyle and instantly seeing how my confidence would boost so growing up as a black girl I think we learned the importance of hair and how much it can really help us with our confidence and help us feel good. And you see how other people treat you when you have 
and you're exuding that confidence, whether it's from your hair or from your outfit, that attribute of always looking good was huge for me growing up. That's so interesting, I think, because it's, that's very real. Like, it is a very real aspect of, like, being Black. It's like, for me, I always grew up, like, changing my hairstyle every mm-hmm. couple of months, right? Or every month, even. And so it was so, like, there was such a thing. If I liked my hairstyle, I would feel so confident. I'd be like, yes, these are my new braids. Yes, this is my new hair. And I'd feel, like, so good about myself. And I can remember, like, the times when I've had a hairstyle I didn't like, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I don't want to go outside. I hate this. Mm. This is the darkest timeline. Like, it does impact you so much. And even when it took a while to get to the point where I was like, I really like my natural hair, like, how it grows out of my head and that I can just add moisture to it and tie it up and it looks really cool even getting to that point was like a journey right and so it's so I don't know it is a thing where it's like I don't want to be like it there's two separate strands of I want to divorce myself from how I look as being that important and there's also like I do take a lot of pride in and a lot of like comfort in my own hair and that I do care about how I present myself in that kind of way yeah but it is it's very interesting it is interesting I don't know a single black girl who hasn't had it like some sort of hair journey in their mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. definitely hair like is like I think linked intrinsically to uh identity for a black person and or mixed race person yes. I think mm-hmm. especially for me who like denied my hair for so long and damaged it for so long now to then be taking care of it it's almost like it's like my own little kind of project. It's my own baby and how I look after my hair. Because in the 90s, I don't think people knew how to really deal with mixed race hair. My mum didn't know what to do with it. And mm-hmm. I think that, and yeah, it was it's kind of rejected by society. So I think the idea that we are now able to like be freely experimental and natural with our hair, yeah. I think is really positive. Yeah, it feels quite it therapeutic is. when you like actually take time to like nourish your hair and like deal with it yeah it's so nice to be like you know what just having my hair as it naturally is is something that's like accepted I don't feel this pressure anymore to be like oh straight hair is better or this you know style is the only one that looks good and I can just change my hair up because I think it's fun because I think it's nice as opposed to I think I have to have xyz hairstyle to be okay with how I look you know Mm. and it's like that is a recent thing like there was oh, definitely so recent it's like yeah. even i think in like white like the kind of like white community it's become a thing like the curly girl hair method has become a big thing yeah. in like the last couple of years of just like letting your hair air dry and not putting heat on it and like learning that there are certain products that will just let your hair like be free essentially yeah i don't know that's bittersweet for me i think i've recently Mm. been seeing a lot of white youtubers uh making videos about finding or tiktoks as well making their videos about finding the curly girl method and finding their curls like yeah i was told to get rid of my curls my whole life none of you lot wanted me to have curly hair you told me i was frizzy you told me like a lion you told me i was haggard and now all of a sudden you want curly hair yeah (laughs) i was gonna say it's become a thing yeah Yeah. like i don't know it's icky to me i don't i don't like that now it's now it's a trend oh now you can have it Mm. now it's okay it's like but i was i Mm -hmm. rejected my hair i spent my whole life hating 
my hair. I told my mum to, to give me um, box relaxer when I was seven years old. Mm. She bought me pre like uh, my first hot comb when I was like eight or nine. I, I begged for straight yeah. hair because I was told at school that I should not be having curly hair or frizzy hair, whatever it is. And now all of a sudden it's trendy. I'm like, yeah. Mm. It has become a thing. I remember the first time yeah. I saw like a YouTube video of someone being like the curly girl hair method, and it was a white girl, and I was like, oh. And they're monetizing. They're monetizing it. They're making yeah. money yeah. from what they bullied me about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Didn't I could do a whole sense. episode on hair as well because I've had so much trauma with my Same hair. Though. Like, I only realized how much it meant to me this year when I had I was in an accident where uh, my hair had oh, to be yeah. cut out of my head, like mm. live on stage. Um, and so I had my first panic attack about my hair and I only realized how much it meant to me and the journey I'd been on to get to that point, only for it to be cut out of my head on the side of a stage. And I just, I, it was oh heartbreaking and devastating. And I thought all that hard work I got to, to like loving myself. And then it was treated as if I was being like superficial when like, I, mm. I don't think because I was surrounded by people who weren't black. I don't think they realized yeah. the significance of my hair and it was yeah. treated mm -hmm. as if I was making it into a big deal. So like, it was only a little bit of hair that you got cut out. It's like, that's not the right. point. It is a big deal. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get that. I think I saw a thing on Twitter where it was like some girl and I think she was white. She was like, I find it so funny when people describe like growing their hair, like it's an active thing. And it's like, no, 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 no. For a lot of people, it is an active thing. It mm -hmm. is days and weeks of work, of researching, of trying products, of does this style work for me? Does this style work for me? Like, is my hair growing? Is my hair healthy? Because you don't and money get to investments see as well. healthy. Yes. Yeah. You don't get to see healthy black hair on tv so often you don't get to see some tyler perry dusty wigs you get to see <laughs> some relaxed hair some straightened hair and you don't get that chance to be like oh okay for me aspirational is this black girl whose hair is growing out of her head without a single treatment done to it mm -hmm. and so people act like why is your hair such a big deal like why do you care about it so much and it's like i have i haven't been growing this hair and taking care of this hair so intently for years for some mm -hmm. people to be like oh get over it you know yeah I've had such a weird journey with my hair and like identity wise with my hair um because so my mum's St. Lucian which is West Indian she's always as far as although apparently she had like coarser hair as a kid but as long as I've known her she's had like very straight, very long hair, just naturally. Um, and as a kid, I was like, like, why isn't my hair that, like that? Because I adopted my dad's hair a lot more. He's Jamaican. So my hair was like quite frizzy, not as easy to manage as my mum's hair was. And I always wanted hair like hers. And I, much like Ebony was saying, kind of grew up being like, I want my hair to be straight. I really want my hair to be straight. I wanted to like do so much with it my mom wouldn't let me relax it as a kid but like I I'd, as soon as I could straighten my hair I straightened it as much as I could um all that kind of stuff uh but then my mom had always told me she had frizzier hair as a kid and then when she got pregnant her hair just changed texture because of like hormones and mm. stuff or whatever and I always thought that was really interesting because then when I was a teenager and I went through puberty my hair completely changed texture and I got like my hair's now like a lot straighter naturally. I still straighten it because I don't like how puffy it is when I don't. And also it it likes to do 
so much in so many different ways. I'm still on a hair journey with my hair, <laughs> but like, um, it's even when it dries naturally, it's just it's straight. It's just like puffy, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so, but I went through, and then I think with everything that's been happening, and a lot of people like embracing their curls and stuff, which was amazing. I've then had like a lot of the opposite where I've had people be like, well, why isn't your hair naturally like that? Like why a lot of people I've had like comments in the past where I'm like not embracing like my culture and being natural by like straightening my hair. And it's like, even if I don't, I don't have an Afro. It's just not what my hair does. So there's not Mm -hmm. anything there. Like my sister, she naturally, she definitely, even as a kid got more of my dad's hair than I did she's kind of really started embracing her curls and I've had people being like oh why don't you do that too and it's like because even if I tried my hair would not look like that yeah. <laughs> like that's just not your hair like, people there's are like no mm. curl pattern <laughs> yes so I've especially in the last couple of years been going on that sort of journey where I've been like what do I do about my hair like can it be curlier and it's it's just no like I've gone to the point now where I'm there like it's that's not what my hair does. Mm. My hair is straight and that's that's how it is. Like, there's nothing I can do about that. I don't have a natural curl pattern. Like, it's just not how things go. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think people start to... You get a lot of... And it comes from yeah, everyone, really. You get a lot of people kind of prescribing blackness to be a certain thing and a certain look. And it's like, when you fall out of that, they're like, oh, you're not... Like, you're trying to, like, kind of stray from your race and your culture. And sometimes it's like, no sometimes it's just not like that sometimes I just like you're just not built like that yeah I think Mm -hmm. like a good example of that is um sometimes people like black people can have like features that people think of as Asian you know they can have like a monolid or things like that and people are like oh like like, you just don't really look black and things like that and it's like no you need to broaden what you think of as black that's the issue mm-hmm. is you don't think black yeah. people have straight hair or smaller eyes or anything like that and it's mm. like Africa's a big old continent and the Caribbean is a big old place and it's like people are saying oh you're not black enough because in their mind black is just these three features and it's like that yeah. shouldn't have to be your problem you know black people can have straight hair black people can have like narrower noses or any other thing and literally mm-hmm. I think it's body type mm, as well yeah like yeah definitely if you're black and you don't have a butt suddenly people are like oh yeah not black enough I'm more black than you mm-hmm. oh my god my... Mm-hmm. yeah but yeah I remember yeah. talking to my friend when I was 15 like my best friend at the time who was black um and she at the time she'd like and I didn't think anything of it this was when I'd moved from like a pretty white school to a pretty black school and she'd always joke about me like not really being black and I didn't think of anything at the time because like she was my best friend and I was like haha yeah I guess I'm not that black can we bleep Which that is... out but is this yeah yeah it was it. <laughs> <I guess it's... laughs> yeah, yeah. anyways <laughs> no further questions yep but yeah um so she she'd like make all these jokes about me not being black enough anyway but like at the time I didn't think anything of it because I was yeah. like oh she's my friend and I guess I'm not that black like I guess I don't act black, and it was. When I think back, I'm like, that was really problematic. Like, that's not okay. But I remember talking about like my hair with her at one point, and her being like, "Yeah, but you must be like at least a little bit mixed." Like, I was gonna say, people said that to me as well. They're like, "Are you sure you're not like mixed with like Asian? Like, are you sure you're not mixed with anything?" Because like I'm not like, duh. 
I'm not like light, light skin, kind of. I don't know. I guess. I'm just like, like not I mean, like I just look at you as black. As yeah. Expect. Mm. exactly like black yeah. is just black it doesn't matter but people would be like oh, you yeah. sure mix with anything you have to be somewhere you have to be mixed with something simply yeah black yes. people can just have a whole range mm-hmm. i used to have these conversations with her all the time like she'd be like oh yeah like you go really pink sometimes and like your hair like it's like that like you must be at least a little bit mixed and i'd be like well i don't think so like Nope. as far as i'm concerned my family lineage is just caribbean and she'd always be like yeah but you, you must be like at least a, there's a little something in there from like, where <laughs> from where yeah. like it genuinely it's interesting because this conversation wouldn't happen between white people mm-hmm. this is purely a, a black yeah. experience mm-hmm. like you wouldn't get this like are you sure you're not a bit polish right? yeah. a little bit like scottish or a little a little bit Welsh like, it's not interrogated yeah. in the same way that blackness mm-hmm. is interrogated by yeah. black and white people yeah. yeah this last voice note is from a friend of ours she is called Amaris we want to get her on the podcast at some point she's lovely um and she but Amaris well, doesn't talk to read, you about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is the thing she wants to be on the podcast she specifically does not read at some point <laughs> Pride with her. I remember one time, this is a complete off topic, but one time a couple years ago, we had a sleepover for Annie's birthday. Oh, like three, four years ago. And (laughs) we were all up really late, as you are in a sleepover. And then we started talking about books and our favorite childhood books. And she just flashed. The speed with which she was just passed out. She was like, no, this is not for me. Goodbye. (laughs) We spoke to her about it in the morning. She was like, yeah, you all started talking about reading. So I was like, time for bed. Okay, so this is from Amaris. Growing up black was a blessing. Having Caribbean roots is one of the things that I'm most proud of. I was really lucky. When I was young, I visited quite a few islands in the Caribbean, including Grenada and Jamaica, where my family is from. Seeing how beautiful the islands are made me feel immensely grateful to have Caribbean ancestry. The music, the food, the people, nothing compares to the Caribbean in my opinion. I was also lucky enough to grow up in London. Even though I've encountered a few racial microaggressions growing up, I still felt secure in who I was. The Caribbean culture in London is so strong, so I always felt connected to the Caribbean, even though it's thousands of miles away. I love that. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. Firstly, it was a really sweet voice, mate. I just thought, especially because we haven't really spoken about the London thing. I feel like we're all very lucky in the fact that we're in London and as far as UK cities go, London is definitely one of the most diverse. Southeast London is probably one of the most diverse areas in London. Um, so I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting her talking about how being in London, she still feels like she has a tie to her Caribbean yeah. culture. Do you guys relate to that at all? Yes and no. I feel like I do mm-hmm. a bit because of like the circles I was in growing up not me personally but like my parents like friends and stuff they don't have that much family around here but like they're friends and stuff because a lot of them would have like grown up like in Barbados together or whatever and then come back and like not come back but like come here so they have like friends and they have like a little circle and then they have like Caribbean gatherings I guess so I do feel still connected to the culture but also for like sheltered life growing up so just in general like just Mm. in the london caribbean culture not so much for me personally but i feel the same as crystal in terms of like 
having grown up in London but not feel connected to that connected to my like Caribbean I feel like I'm not the kind of person who would like go to Notting Hill Carnival and like I can't whine <laughs> and like I can't make curry goat from scratch like there's so much so many aspects of the culture that like although I, I am aware yeah. of I don't feel necessarily yeah. embraced mm. by like I don't yeah. feel that embraced by because I feel a bit like yeah. a fraud when I step into those spaces like my friends like drink ups or like the Caribbean house parties that my friend's family would throw. I never felt kind of, feel I felt a bit like a fraud in those spaces. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in terms of like not quite feeling connected. My mom isn't very like typically Caribbean. She's very British. Mm. Um, and that's because of her upbringing has been like mixed, mixed, mm. kind of mixed up. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I don't always feel like I'm welcome in those spaces. Mm. Yeah. I've, um, I'd say the same sort of thing in the sense that as much as like London is diverse and I'm thankful for that I guess it's sort of links but most of my connections to like my Caribbean heritage have just been through family like despite living in London like it's been through family gatherings and like things like that and again like we're kind of with what you were saying Ebony I feel like my family quite I mean I still get like a lot of Caribbean food and I learn how to cook but like certain things do feel quite British to me as well. Like my mum never really learned Creole, so I don't know it. And it's like my my dad's never been to Jamaica despite like being from there. So I've never mm-hmm. been to Jamaica. Like yeah. things like that. Um like small things like you guys, any crystal, our whole group of friends were probably the like first okay, not the first because I just spoke about my old <laughs> friends, but like <laughs> the first like I'd say solid like group of black friends I had that I was able to like talk about culture with mm. and stuff and then like even then I feel like we all have sort of similar experiences with our culture still being massively British despite having our heritage mixed yeah. into that yeah I think like for me I'm like I feel Nigerian because I'm like I have my family and I've got a lot of family mm. And I have like some Nigerian friends like Titi and Alice, but I'm also very much like I don't know Yoruba. Like my parents never spoke to me in Yoruba. They never really taught me Yoruba. So sometimes when I'm like around other Nigerian people, I'm like, oh, like that's when I feel a bit like a fraud because I'm literally like, I'm I'm not you know in I feel like I'm not in touch with the culture. Yeah. But it's also like, what more could I have done? You know, if I was never taught a language I can't expect to know it and it's not like it's easy Mm -hmm. to just kind of log onto the internet and just kind of find some Yoruba learning websites it's not like Duolingo it has Yoruba yeah and so it's very much like it's easy to feel as though I think when I went to my university my university Brunel was like quite black it was quite multicultural it was a lot of like international students from like India Asia and Africa and just black people in London and I remember a specific event where I was, I went to like a party that was all black people and it was because I got, met this girl through work. And even there, I felt so out of place because I was like, there's these customs I don't really know where like every time someone comes into the room, be like greeting every single person in the room. And I was like, am I, is this a thing? Like, do they all know each other? Or is yeah. this like a black person thing that I, I'm, that I'm not in the loop about because I don't meet that many black people, you know, in West Wickham. And I definitely have had these moments where I'm like, I feel so, I feel like I, I'm not black enough for the people around me. Yeah. Or I feel yeah. like I'm out of place or like I'm a fraud. And it's like frustrating to feel as though I have to act a certain way, do a certain thing to be black enough. 
I definitely relate with what you and Ebony were saying where I've gone into black spaces and kind of felt like I'm like I don't like I'm like just like pretending if I try and like fit in properly because it's just not what yeah. I've been brought up on yeah it's weird it is I guess in terms of always being tied to your culture here in London we are lucky in the sense that we've never had to think about like if you wanted specifically black food there are a bunch of shops you could go to like I know I've got at least like two black food shops on my high street definitely one black hair shop although I'm I'm sure there are others on my high street like we definitely have that better than people like in other areas of London Mm. not London other areas of the UK for me I'm more like if I want to go to a black hair shop it's like far away it'll be like oh this one specific person that lives in like it's nor like somewhere far like, Norwood and it's like oh my mum went to them once and they're like really nice or it's like oh this woman that does hair and she's like the parent of a child my mum looks after at work and it's like it doesn't feel that accessible to me like if I go down my local high street I'm not gonna see a single black hair yeah, shop to black be fair, food shop you guys have very a very different high street yeah. to me yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'd say your area. I mean, we only live about like 10, 15 minutes away from each other, but your area, I'll believe that, but like Westbrook is a lot whiter than my area. Yeah. There's nowhere under an hour's walking distance where I could get my hair done or buy plantain or get some like, uh, I don't know, anything African really. And it's just like. Catford used to be where it was at. Catford did uh, and Catford still for me it's still far away like it's still like 20 more walk to the station 20 minutes on the train and then I can like access mm. things and it's just like yeah I think when it comes to like um the like something that gives me anxiety is when people look at me and expect something like they yeah. might expect mm. me to be a certain mm. way like they might expect the cult like to be really in touch with my culture or they or they for me they look at me and like well, where's she from like they probably have yeah. no idea um but I think it's the expectations that other people put yes. on you so like their experience so for a white person's experience with black people they're like oh that's the black experience therefore every black person I see mm. is going to have that shared yeah. experience and then it's like no actually I like completely different things to what maybe you expect mm. I like or do or how I sound or what yeah, yeah. I think that gives me anxiety a little bit yeah. about yeah. the expectations people put on yeah. you. Do. I project they put a lot of expectations you. on you and it's just like, you feel bad suddenly when you don't fall yeah. into that and you're like, sorry, I'm not yeah. back enough. There's like, like expectations like now? watching certain things, listening to certain music. Mm. Like if you yeah. don't know certain, certain artists. songs yeah. is a big one. It's yeah. like, yeah. Oh, you don't certain know dances. this song. Like, are you even black? It's weird. Mm-hmm. I oh God. I, I got a lot of stick when I f- went to like my first big, like majority black school for like, <laughs> not having never tried jollof rice and people kept calling me white for it and I was like okay firstly I'm Caribbean honestly and secondly this is like the first like yeah it's not Caribbean whatsoever it was like outside of my family this is kind of the first like real experience I've had with like African people Mm -hmm. so it's like no I've never had a chance to try it because Caribbeans eat rice and peas it's not the same (laughs) that is so it's so ridiculous to be honest yeah it wasn't a white thing it was just a Caribbean thing (laughs) you get this thing where it's like you don't fall into certain stereotypes and suddenly you're not black anymore and it's just Mm. it's so ridiculous because it's like the black black people aren't just one type of person Mm -hmm. 
and you're allowed mm-hmm. to have eaten jollof rice or not eaten jollof rice or like Kendrick Lamar or not listen to Kendrick Lamar and it's like all of a sudden those are things that mean you are in touch with your culture and it's like it shouldn't be that no. right definitely um we should probably wrap this up does anyone have anything they really want to add before I move on to like wrapping this um, um, I just everyone? who are people to say that you are or are not the race that you are I don't yeah. understand it's really stupid like at the end of the day the thing that makes you black is my skin colour right. so like telling me certain things are like oh you're so not black it's like no I am yeah. I'm still black I'm just a black person that likes these things like, and it's like okay culture is kind of different but even if I maybe mm-hmm. I'm not performing my culture in front of you doesn't mean I don't li- like love it you know maybe mm-hmm. you've never seen me eat jollof rice but doesn't mean I don't love Nigerian people and Nigerian culture like mm-hmm. I still grew up in England like what do you want me to be what do you want me to do and it's just unreasonable so yeah that's all for today and also all for our Black History Month series yeah. which is interesting wow been a world's time we've produced eight episodes which is a lot more than usual and it has felt like a lot more than usual <laughs> yeah but we did it um we hope they've been really informative i've actually really not to toot our own horn or anything but really loved listening to these episodes especially like the topic discussion ones because it's been quite i feel like we we have these candid conversations between us but to like listen to them in the podcast and be like actually like these are quite informative conversations Mm. and it's like for those people in the summer especially during the Black Lives Matter movement that wanted to know more about blackness and how it felt it's a good set of episodes to listen to and like hear people's experiences that they've discussed discussed in a safe space without putting yourself into that space and like making them feel uncomfortable about it Mm. it's been a really fun time um as of next week we'll be going back to one episode a week and we're starting our next category which we've sort of already started with these last two books um it's going to be some we're going to do some non-fiction stuff so get ready for more non-fiction stuff i think coincidentally they're both by black authors as well which yeah. wasn't intentional but we just <laughs> it's just what's happened so it kind of we've got some more black history month overlap i guess yeah. next um, month is black also history. in general <laughs> sure <laughs> Because there's like four episodes coming out and it, they're both black books. Yeah. I'd love to see it. In general, to be fair, in general, like we talked about how you need to diversify your like consumption of mm. media in general outside of months yeah. like Black History and outside of events like Black Lives Matter in the summer. In general, you should be doing an effort, like making an effort to diversify yeah. what you consume, not just in terms of blackness, in terms of sexuality, in terms of other like people of color and consuming their stuff um and we've got a lot of that coming up this season like this isn't the last time we're going to do a book by a black author we just made sure to like draw our like draw attention to it during this month yeah um but yeah uh firstly crystal any what was your favorite book we covered in these last four (laughs) this last month so i think mine had to be (laughs) Yeah, that's we covered Noughts and Crosses, Love in Colour, Misadventures of Awkward It's Black Love in Colour. It is Love in Colour. Yeah, I was going to say mine's Love in Colour. Yeah. That's the best I, I've read in a long time. Love in Colour mm-hmm. and Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race will always have a special place in my heart. Yeah. Like, yeah Love in Colour. Yeah. I enjoyed 
I think colour was fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> it's yeah, such listen, a good book. Honestly, read it. It's just love. So it's a short, like a collection of short stories that are just all love yeah. stories. Um, and they're based off of oh. like mythology, mm-hmm. but mythology from different yeah. cultures, like not the mythology that you're used to. And all of them centre people of colour. Yes. And they're written so beautifully. Like it's been a long time since I've read, like I don't know if I've ever really read love stories where like the women are so confident yeah. and the men know how to communicate and it's just it's beautifully done yeah really would recommend reading literally it. every single one is about like a different woman of color being loved for like who she is and she yeah. doesn't have to compromise on her beliefs or how she's living yeah. it's so yes. fulfilling it's <laughs> such a good book and it's not just like it's fun it's funny it's heartfelt it's written so it's well i cannot shout about love and color enough <laughs> yes yeah same. um uh, but yeah, uh, thank you, Ebony, for joining today's episode. Hope you've had a fun Thank time. you for having me. It's been really fun talking to you. Been. Thank you for coming. Um, while you're here, do you want to plug some stuff? Go. <laughs> oh. Um, you can find me pretty much everywhere. YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, blog. It's all Ebony Ivory blog. Ebony spelled E-B-O-N-I and then Ivory blog. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> uh, don't short and sweet. Yeah, that was yeah. perfect. <laughs> don't forget to follow us on at Baby Got Books Pod on both Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We do loads of information. We teach you how to make book themed cocktails. They've been fun. Most of them contain far more alcohol than they should, but it's fine. <laughs> they do the job. Um, we have a book club which we don't do enough with, but we do give you monthly emails and they're fun. Yes. We tell you a little bit. We spread some secrets. <laughs> we, it's one email a month. It's a lot of fun. Um, tell your friends to listen to our podcast. Tell your friends to tell their friends. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you leave us a review, you're amazing. I say something different every episode. I can't think of anything to say today. <laughs> if you leave us a review, yeah. you've left us a review. Thanks. <laughs> There you go. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, it does mean a lot to us. We read all of them. We screenshot them. We send them to the group chat. We sing your praises. So <laughs> there you go. Um, once again, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and all our Black History Month content this October. Um, we have enjoyed making it. We'll be back to business next week on our regular date of Wednesday with Slay in Your Lane. It should be fun. You still have time to read it, even though it's thick. <laughs> but come join us then. Um, until then...